You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 5. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, and I'm happy to have you with us. Professional coaches many times have the challenge of helping others to understand the field of coaching. While certainly there has been an increase in understanding and valuing of coaching in many industries and in different environments, there still is a likelihood that Saying that you're a professional coach or an executive coach or a life coach is going to be met with some more confusion about what specifically you do than some of the more established professions such as psychotherapy or banking or medicine. And that's because professional coaching is relatively new as an organized profession. Thomas Leonard, who many consider to be the father of coaching, did much of his initial work in establishing coaching as a profession in the late 1980s, early 1990s. It was 1995 when he worked with others to establish the International Coach Federation. If you compare the history of professional coaching with the history of, let's say, social work, which originates back to 1817, or the history of psychology, which some say dates back to 1387 B.C., when Plato suggested that the brain is the mechanism of mental processes, or even if you just go back to Freud, Freud began performing therapy in Vienna in 1886. Ironically, the first management consulting firm was also established back in 1886. So if we compare professional coaching to these other industries, we're in our infancy. And therefore, we each have the opportunity as professional coaches to contribute to the development of our industry. It was the mid-1990s that several different associations and organizations were established not just the International Coach Federation, but they all work to create professional guidelines and standards and certifications to lend credibility to the world of professional coaching. Now, today, the most widely recognized coaching organization is the International Coach Federation, or the ICF, and it offers accreditation for coach training programs, it has three levels of credentialing for individual coaches, the ACC, the PCC, and the MCC. It has set professional standards, coaching competencies, ethics for us to uphold as a profession. It also offers trainings and conferences and a coaching community to be a part of. I give this brief history lesson for a reason. I wanted just to emphasize that as a self-managed, self-regulated profession, 
we all get this great opportunity, but also responsibility to be true to our profession and to uphold the standards and to pay attention to the ethics and to ultimately put coaching into the history books, just like social work and psychology and consulting have gone into the history books. As we do that, as we continue to grow the credibility and the integrity and just the awareness of professional coaching, the whole community gets to know more of what we do as coaches. Being true to the profession of coaching is one of the passions of our guests on this week's show. Master Certified Coach Sarah Smith joins us to share her impressive experience and absolutely loads the show with suggested resources. I was reading through the feedback that several of you have given for the show, and I thank you for that. And just a little footnote, encourage ongoing feedback. Love to get your feedback. I still have the survey up on the starcoachshow.com website. Always welcome your emails and your feedback, so thank you for that. So I was reading through the feedback, and lots of good topics you guys have suggested. Two at the top of the list were building your coaching business and hearing successful coaches share about what's made them successful. Well, luckily, Sarah fits that bill to the T. She is a successful coach who very generously shares her path that she's walked to her success. And she talks about building a business, gives great ideas about how to build a business, and wonderful resources. I've had the pleasure of knowing Sarah for several years now. We first met when we worked together through the board at the ICF North Texas chapter. I have to say that Sarah is one of the most genuine, warm, caring people that I've ever had the pleasure to know. Each of you, I promise you, are going to benefit from the way she so generously shares her knowledge, her expertise, her resources. So you might even get a pen and paper for this one. Sarah began her career at IBM in sales, and then she led sales teams before she transitioned into teaching sales leaders and executives coach-like management skills. That subsequently led to her coaching within IBM several of the leaders before she left after nearly 30 years to create her own company. Sarah is the author of Coach to Coach, Emotional Intelligence and Leadership for Winning Coaches. She and her husband, Paul, are the founders of Smith Leadership, where they are creating the future, one leader at a time. I hope you enjoy my interview with Sarah Smith. So, Sarah, once again, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today. Meg, thanks. It's an honor to be here. Well, thank you. I um, would love if you could give just, I gave a little cap of what you've done, but it doesn't get anywhere near really the depth and the richness of what you've done in your life. So would you be willing to share a little of your background of, you know, working in corporate America and then ultimately leading to your coaching? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Thanks. I started in IBM in the 70s, which was quite the experience for a fine arts major. 
I ended up being with the company for nearly 30 years. I was very fortunate. I made my way into sales, which for someone who, someone like me is a real blessing. And through the course of my experience into the 1990s, I have had a lot of experience across a, a wide variety of selling terrains. In the 90s, I was able to move into the year 2000 practice, which was just amazing. I was responsible for sales across the U.S. When that effort was over, boy, and by the way, there I learned so much about business. You know, Oh, yeah. We started it, created it, ran it, and then closed it in a matter of three and a half to four years. What a great experience. When I got out of that, anybody who knows the IBM history knows that the turn into the new millennium was a real challenge because the company had been stuck in hardware and software mode and the world, the marketplace, was asking for something very different. And so it was decided at the highest levels of the company to transform rather than divest. And so they looked for a team of people with experience in sales and sales leadership and managing organizations to be a part of the transformation team. And that marked a huge shift for me. So I moved out of over 20 years of sales experience into this transformational work where we first taught sales leaders and sales executives how to be coach-like because we had determined that that was a more effective way to move the ship. Uh My clients began to ask me to be their coach. All I knew was the curriculum. I didn't know enough to be a coach, you know, kind of a mile wide and an inch deep. Well, and I want to right there commend you for knowing that, (laughs) knowing that you might want to dig a little deeper for that. Well, yeah, thanks. In fact, that was an important learning for me because I come out of sales, you know, and I come out of IBM sales. I have a degree in self-assurance and arrogance to some extent. (laughs) You know, it's that big dog thing. Mm-hmm. And I realized early on that coaching was a lot more than reading John Whitmore's book and being really good at it. I mean, mm-hmm. I was really good at the at what John Whitmore teaches sales managers or mm-hmm. managers in general. But I wasn't good and I didn't have what it took to partner with someone in changing their life. And that's when I decided I interviewed at three different schools and chose Coaches Training Institute primarily. The big dogs, this was back in 2001, the big dogs on the block, Coach U, Coach Mm -hmm. University, and uh, CTI, and Newfield. And I interviewed them all, and I decided that based on my learning style, face-to-face worked best. And And that's what CTI offered. That's what CTI is. Okay. And so I did face-to-face workshops. What I discovered and it was probably five years later looking back, is that the thing that CTI offered me was really basic, fundamental coaching skills work anywhere. Life coach, executive coach, team coach, those skills worked. And so I'm delighted that I went to, you know, chose CTI since that time. As I've coached more executives and in businesses, I realized that my skills, again, it's like reading the Whitmore book, Good Uh Start, going to CTI, Good Start. Since then, I've attended the program at Telios Leadership. That's, if anybody reads much about emotional intelligence, that's Annie McKee's consultancy. They created a coaching school that's wrapped around emotional intelligence and executive coaching. So I expanded and went that direction. I'm now working on 
uh, relationship and systems coaching with a group called Center for Right Relationships. They focus on systems approach to coaching. So very much knowing that in order to be an effective coach, you also need to be a lifelong learner. Forever. That's right, because I would encourage coaches to always find the edge. Where's the thing that they'd like to know a little bit more, Uh and then go look for it. And by the way, just as a a quick advertisement, you Uh mentioned the International Coach Federation. I'm a strong believer in the ICF, its chapters, and its global organization. There is a ton of information about expanding your business, about becoming better at coaching, The ICF competencies are designed to make us great coaches wherever we coach. Yeah, whatever genre, whatever niche. Yeah, Yeah, because your niche and mine are very different. Mm -hmm. And the competencies speak to both of us. Exactly. So if I were going to, you know, mentor a young coach at this point, it's to say, remember, this is just a journey and you've just begun. Right. And there's just so, it's so rich. Just keep your eyes open, your heart open, your curiosity. And like you said, where's the edge? What do I want to learn more about? And then what's out there? Because there are so many wonderful resources out there. Yeah, and if you went to a school, credited or not, and you learned a process, know it's one of a 100 processes. Exactly. I've got a bunch of processes in my toolkit. And that way, no matter what my client wants, I begin to have options of how to work with them. You know, close and rich and spiritual. Mm -hmm. Some want that. Others want, you know, what do you know about business? Others say, I'm at the top of my business. I don't get to talk to anybody. Who are you going to be for me? And so I need to be um, nimble in all of those environments. Excellent. Touched on where you did your training. And that obviously, so kind of taking you back to that point, people were asking you to be their coach. You knew that you needed to go deeper. (laughs) You chose CTI, and I thank you so much for kind of going through your process, because I think many of our listeners would be kind of going through the process. If I want to become a coach, you know, what's the process of picking the program? And I think everyone will kind of have their own journey in that, and I appreciate you sharing how you made that decision and what was right for Sarah. Then you begin to coach. What happens next? I started coaching at IBM. I thought that I was going to have a small private practice on the outside, But the demands on IBM were significant. People who came through my courses who wanted to work, and all of a sudden I was coaching both first and second line managers and their teams. And so part of what I needed to do was to create a process to coach a team. You know, I'd learned how to coach an individual. Then all of a sudden it's how do you coach a team. I worked in partnership with other IBM coaches, and we came up with a pretty good approach for coaching teams. And that's been really valuable as well. So let me go back to your question. In Mm -hmm. IBM, I coached first-line managers Mm -hmm. when I was going through coach training. Then I started coaching some of their teams. Then I moved up as I was becoming known as a coach. I began to coach higher and higher in the organization, and the organization began to ask for coaches for executives because part of what we did, and this is something to note, we began to measure our effectiveness Now, measuring the effectiveness of personal change is a fluffy topic. It's Uh, a little squishy sometimes, yes. Yeah, and I read a book called Coaching That Counts, and it's an excellent first read about how do you measure this thing. You know, how do you start with the beginning and six months later remember to stop and look back and say what's changed? 
Well, that's the strategic vision of what a coach does anyway with an individual client. It's easy to translate that into individual clients, teams, even uh, full organizations. But it's a clear discipline that a coach needs to, you know, if somebody wants to go into organizational coaching, that's like hunting and tackling and running. Yeah. Sorry, I'm into sports. But the basics are start with the beginning and give yourself some markers. Then as you coach in three months or six months or nine months, stop with the client and say, where have we come? You know, what's been possible because of the work we've been doing? And not only for measuring, you know, kind of your results, but also helping ground the client in that and help you determine what steps you're going to take moving from there. Yeah, and by the way, coaches, there's a moment at which we have to generate business. It's also a place to get references. Yes. You know, and there's a whole other call around that. But as you begin to get a client to articulate where they've come, then you write it for them, send it to them, and ask them if they'll write that to you. You know, it's really pretty easy because they'll love you. You'll know right. if they don't. And they're happy for your business to flourish. So not only are you justifying coaching in their world, but they are creating, you know, the path for your success. And I don't know if you've had the experience, Sarah. I've had the experience with clients. When we sit and and kind of do that ongoing assessment as you move, it almost increases their awareness of, you know what, there are some things that have been happening that I hadn't even really taken stock. I hadn't thought about, my goodness, this coaching is, is paying, you know, paying off. This coaching is bringing such value that if you didn't kind of, it just kind of gets taken in stride and maybe not even the awareness is there with, so you are so right. Yeah. And no matter where you're coaching, it's really important to stop, look back, celebrate and acknowledge the changes that have occurred. And Uh, celebrate your client. Who doesn't like to be celebrated? Yeah. And you're right. See, in the human condition, we are almost trained in school, at work, not to stop and acknowledge who we are becoming. And part of what a coach can help a client do is do that for themselves. And if they can do it for themselves, then they can do it for the people around them. And those are brilliant skills and skills that we can teach clients as a coach. And there's such a ripple effect of changing the world, frankly. Mm -hmm. It sounds really big, but it's really, I mean, one person at a time. Yeah. And the ripple effect from that, that's one. What kinds of people have you rippled over? What kinds of people have you talked with? Have you coached? I've coached CEOs of companies, various sizes. I'm currently coaching the president of a major university. I've coached heads of seminaries because I have a love of seminaries. Uh I've coached head coaches and head sports coaches in Division I NCAA sports. So So both business and sports. Yep. And not that sports isn't business sometimes, but... What kind of led you into that arena? I was fortunate that a colleague referred a potential client to me. A client was in Texas, a colleague was in California, and his plate was full, and he said, Sarah, you ought to talk to this coach. I went, coach, really? Okay. (laughs) That was about three years ago, and I've worked with a number of coaches since and found out it combines my closet um, love of sports I'm actually a sports nut, but I've kept it quiet. (laughs) And I decided, wait a minute, this is a whole area where emotional intelligence and coaching, these good people learn a lot about sports, but they know almost nothing 
accept, you know, what they get into intuitively or have seen other coaches do about working with people. So it's been a real fun place to play, and it's where I'm expanding my business, actually, because I think we ought to have fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I know that you're expanding your business, and I'm so excited to get to that part with you. I'm wondering if before we go there, if we could touch just briefly, as you transitioned and, and moved from being in IBM, and actually my mind's going in two directions, because I definitely want to know how you began to kind of market your practice and drew attention to what you had to offer. But before we even go there, I'm going to take one step further back and ask, you know, we're talking about the 80s and 90s. How did IBM take to a coaching culture? Great question. It was actually the basis of research. We worked with a consultancy, a major HR consultancy, to discover what kind of executive and leadership behaviors help an organization be healthy and change. And we did, you know, some focus groups, a lot of measuring. And what we found is that in IBM, we had a lot of coercive people telling people what to do and pace-setting people. And pace-setting is the skill of having high standards and demanding high standards, but also ripping work out of people's hands. If You're not going fast enough yet. Exactly. So our two predominant styles, coercive and pace-setting, were good tactical styles, but they were terrible when it came to creating a healthy climate, you know, a growing climate. And so part of the research, we realized that a coaching culture put the, some of the development on the shoulders of the leaders and then the people themselves. So the data said that we could take the same workforce and be 26 to 38% more effective if we shifted the styles of leadership. So that's where we started. Coaching was one of the four styles we were aiming at, and none of them were telling people what to do. So dramatic shift. Dramatic shift, but I think you make an excellent point in that you had to kind of show them where's the beef. You had to show the data because they could conceivably say, you know what, we're IBM, and this pace setting and Coerciveness has made us pretty stinking successful. So being able to say, but here's the data, and here's by making this shift, we might be good, but how much better could we be? Exactly. And I've worked with other corporations since leaving IBM that I've realized that that point of awareness is critical as we go to corporate clients. You know, there's a book by the title of What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, the the things that made your business successful may be the nails in the coffin in the future. Seth Godin has a blog that I dearly love. Mm -hmm. Not signed up for Seth Godin's blog. Sign up because he reminds us every day that change is inevitable and that if you're not changing, you're sliding backwards. And he makes it fun, so that works for me. But the fact is I'm watching a company who shall remain nameless, a global firm, that I don't expect that they will exist in five years because they've not been able at the top levels of the company come to grips with what change means. And it's one of those things. Well, you know, and I'm a a Detroit girl. Well, actually, I'm a Midwestern girl. But, you know, I grew up outside of Detroit. My dad was a supplier for the big three. My father-in-law was an executive for one of the big three. The auto industry in the United States 
because they thought, you know what, well, we don't have to change. Why do we yes. have to change? Why do we have to be? We're the big three. Well, you know, obviously not, not so much anymore. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And, and all you have to do is take a drive through Flint, Michigan, which used to be GM's headquarters, to show how incredibly devastating that mindset will take your company. Right. So IBM heard the facts. They heard the data, and they incorporated coaching. Absolutely. Because I hear from new coaches that I work with, well, you know, how do you get a company to want to invest in coaching? How do you get them to believe in coaching? And what I'm hearing you say is you show them. You show the data. Yeah, and by the way, if you're a new coach and you're listening, where do you get the data? I encourage you to go out to Harvard Business Review, hbr.org, and find Harvard Business Review's articles that talk about coach-like behavior. They're out there. They talk about the impact. There are two. One is leadership that gets results. That's written by Daniel Goleman, and it's about 10 years old, but it's still very relevant. Mm -hmm. There's also social intelligence and the biology of leadership. And that one talks about what we're learning in from neuroscience about emotions and how leaders most effectively leverage emotions. I'm not going to use the word use because mm-hmm. part of what's being discovered is that you can't use emotions. Right. Part of who we human beings is we can figure out fakeness. We get a sense of it. So coaches, those are two HBR articles. If you're going to get to business people, you've got to talk business. Excellent. Thank you for those resources. And you're exactly right. The resources are out there. Those are two fabulous resources for them to access. So I appreciate you bringing Anne Seth Godin's blog. You know, Sarah is just rich with resources. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. So you leave IBM and you think, okay, well, you know, I hear over and over again from people that I work with, well, it's so hard to leave corporate America because you've kind of got those golden handcuffs. You've got the guaranteed income. You've got the security. But if I want to take that leap and go into business for myself, what did you do? What would you recommend? That's a long answer. I'll make it short. A dear friend of mine who left a CPA firm, one of the big five, I have no idea how many CPA firms there are. <laughs> Sounds good. Big five works for me. And I talked to her about 20 months into my transition, and she said, a friend told me as I was leaving the accounting firm that it would take two years. And I thought that I was ahead of the game and that it surely wouldn't take me two years. And she said, and it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being realistic, I would encourage you, if you're going to leave corporate land, to do all of the things before you leave that you can. You know, incorporate. Get your own technology. Put up at least a small website. Get yourself for, and transfer your black book from your corporate laptop to your personal laptop. Be smart. Give yourself probably six months of thought because however much you think you know once you leave is only a fraction of what you actually know. I was amazed at how impervious the big blue bubble was until I left it. It was enormous. You'll miss the community. Join an ICF chapter and create a community of coaches. And you meet wonderful people. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And invest there, and you'll end up getting referrals from those colleagues. Uh I've gotten fabulous referrals from friends who are coaches, and I've given referrals. I wrote down a couple of notes. You know, how do you share uh, corporate appeal? I've worked in corporations. I haven't found it particularly difficult since I left IBM once I got started. And the question is, how do you do that? Well, 
translate the expertise that you had in your corporation into what would be valuable to other business people. If you've managed a group, if you've managed a profit and loss statement, if you've been responsible for, it doesn't matter what you've been responsible for, that becomes part of your appeal. You've got to speak the language of business when you're coaching business people. And by the way, if you've never been in business and you want to step into corporate land... Oh, that's um, a good perspective too, yes. You know, that you've got to figure out what you've done. Have you worked with nonprofits? Power through influence rather than positional power? That's pretty provocative. If you've managed an effort in a nonprofit, translate that into business. You know, translate that into leadership and organizational effectiveness. So take what you know and step outside of it and look at it as though you're on the outside looking in and determine how that would be valuable for business. The other thing I would encourage you to do is to know their business schedule. You know, you don't call on salespeople at the end of the quarter. You don't call on Harry and David. You know, they're a great seller of fruit baskets. Right, at Christmas you know, time, yeah, holidays, yeah. yeah. You don't call on them until it's like February because they do 90% of their business between Black Friday and the week after Christmas. Know your business. Yeah, I'm yeah, working with yeah. sports teams. I'm not working with football teams right now. It's the fall. Yeah, they're, right. They're busy. <laughs> Note to self, football season, fall, yes. Exactly, but I'm working with softball and baseball and golf, <laughs> come to think of it. Oh, right, but, yeah. So you stay with the, you know, know your business. Know their schedule. You want to take good work into their environment, but you need to know their environment enough to speak their language. You know, a lot of the coaching language that we hear, I was trained by CTI in the early 2000s in California. You've got to translate the things that you understand about moving people forward into a language of business. I don't talk to people in what one of my clients called la-la language. I do not. And yet we go to that land of la-la. <laughs> you know, we go to the heart topics. But we're talking about moving them forward in their lives, in your career, in your aspirations. You know, I tell people I'm the bridge that gets you from where you are to where you want to be. And we'll get you there like a good bridge faster and more safely and effectively. Translate what you do into the language your client's going to speak. That's just gold nuggets that you're handing out like candy. So thank you so much for sharing. And when coaches and other helping professionals, and just people in general, make it their mission to impact each person in a positive way and to leave their touch as a learning, gentle, empowering. Yeah. Wow, what a wonderful ripple, huh? It is to have a legacy. So, Sarah, anything else you would like the audience to know about you, what you have to offer, or any other words of wisdom? It would be, for those of you who are coaches or want to become coaches, good on you. Stay the course. It's not always easy. Sometimes we get caught up in the warmness of what we do. We are both a helping profession and enabling profession, which is di different. And don't forget the rigor of it. If you are coaching and you haven't been to any training, go to training. Don't let the assumptions of what coaching is be the only thing you have. There are ethics and competencies, there is rigor, and there is lifelong learning around coaching. And if you want to do good in the world, we have to start with ourselves. And the thing I didn't say, Meg, that was in my notes, 
mm-hmm. that when I started this journey, I was a very different person. I was the kind of second-line manager that you might not want to work for. And I work on changing that in me every day. The, the IBM arrogance, the, you know, I know that, you can't tell me anything tendencies. You know, we are all human. We all have urges and desires and defaults. And as a coach, take that stuff on. You know, take it on and become the person who can actually accomplish the dreams that you have. Because if you have a dream, allow it to define you. Allow it to help design who you want to become. Thank you to Sarah for sharing your passion about coaching as a profession, about our growing profession and our need for community, about how to strengthen ourselves as coaches and to build our businesses. And thank you so much for all the resources that you recommended. For a list of those resources, visit the resource page at starcoachshow.com. You know, being a part of a coaching community can be so very powerful. I joined the local chapter of the ICF here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area when I was still in coach training, and it has been such an incredible experience of being able to connect with other coaches and learn from one another and be a part of our professional organization. It's one of the most fun organizations that I'm aware of as well as one that really pushes us to be the best that we can be. I sometimes hear from coaches that it can be isolating to be in an individual coaching practice, particularly for those of you who are transitioning out of a corporate or an organizational job and then suddenly, you know, are fulfilling your dream of having your own coaching business and at the same time might feel a little isolated or disconnected from people. So therefore, connecting with coaches in your community can be really uplifting and it can help you bridge some gaps and it can help you get ideas and grow with others. If you don't have an ICF chapter in your area, consider looking to see who is within a 20, 30 mile radius of you. The International Coach Federation has a search engine that you can put in coaches in a certain area or 20 miles around this area and you might consider having a get together or beginning a small monthly meeting yourself. I've actually had some students who have gone into their communities and created either an ICF chapter or a monthly get together where they can learn and grow from one another. So I encourage you to think about that because professional coaching is in its infancy And each one of us adds to its credibility and value. Together, we make up the face of our profession. So thank you for listening. For those of you who would like to know more about the show or about Sarah Smith or Smith Leadership, visit StarCoachShow.com and scan through the information about the show. All of Sarah's contact information will be there. Be sure to get into the drawing for the book giveaways. The winners will be notified by email, but you'll also be posted on the site. So if you haven't heard about our book giveaways or you would like to be a part of them, just go to starcoachshow.com and on the contact page, give your name and email address, which I will protect. And in the comments, note giveaway. 
what the giveaway is, is we're going to be having some books given away. Some of our guests have given their books an autographed copy of their books. I've got Sarah's Coach to Coach. It's going to be one of the books that's given away, and we're currently collecting names to begin that giveaway. So would love to have you take part. Always, please feel free to leave feedback. If you could rate and review the show on iTunes, that would be fantastic. So I want to thank you for joining us. And this is your host, Meg Rentschler. Until next week, here's to your coaching success.